guys. Good to see you this morning. <clears throat> I hope it's good to see me. I look how I look. It's not, I, can, I can apologize, but it won't change the way I look. I hope you caught in those announcements that Pastor Steve handed out there that on the 29th and the 5th, August 29th, September the 5th, we're meeting in parks. We're not going to be meeting here. So write that down. The 29th is going to be at Everest Park in Green River, right, which is, like he said, just before the bridge at Expedition Island. And uh, that will also be our baptism Sunday. And then on the 5th, we're going to be meeting at Bunning Park. With At the moment, we're meeting with First Assembly Church and with uh, New Hope Baptist Church. So uh, pretty excited about that. There may be a couple more that participate. We will see. But anyway, just so you got that in the loop. So we're taking this month and uh, part of, well, the rest of this month and talking about baptism and what it means uh, and, and what it should do. What I hope to do with this series is help you really connect if you've already been baptized, participated in believer's baptism and so forth. Uh, I want to connect some more meaning to that for you. If you've never been baptized and you're wondering if it's important or not, I want to help you see how important it is. So what we're doing is we're taking several stories out of the Bible and we're exploring how they apply to baptism and what they teach us about baptism. So today we're going to be talking about how that baptism can be very healing for us as, as individuals and the things that we go through. So we're going to be looking at a story that you're going to hear again next year uh, in, in another sermon series. We're going to be talking about the waters of Merah, and, uh, which you're like, I've never heard of that before. It's okay, we're going to get there in a minute and you'll have heard about it. But before I even begin, let me kind of preface what I'm about to say with a reality. I don't know what you expect out of Christianity, whether you're a believer, uh, a churchgoer, uh, exploring, today's your first chan uh, time even checking out what a church is, I, I really don't know what your expectations are. I know they're likely different than mine. So I'm trying to, to kind of help wrap our heads around some of those things. So let me do something that's going to sound really counterintuitive, but it, it's, it's very important that you understand this. Following Jesus Christ is no cakewalk. If you're expecting butterflies and a rose-strewn pathway, you might want to look somewhere else. And I'll tell you why. Our God is a God of miracles. If you need a miracle, that means you've got a big problem. Our God's a God who heals. If you need a healing, you've got a big problem. Our God is a God of strength. If you need strength, that means you're probably walking in weakness. Do you understand? What I'm trying to tell you is, is our God is a God of real solutions, not mental tricks and positive attitude. He's a God who meets us where we are and helps us through the junk that we have to go through. Does that make sense? So I want us to really wrap our heads around that, be very honest about it, and understand we want to approach following Jesus from a place of absolute integrity, authenticity, and honesty. I'm never going to tell you that things are just going to be wonderful just because you signed up on the Jesus train. That's not how it's going to work at all. Okay? In fact, what I do want to show you is this, this very non-encouraging verse in uh, Luke 8, 13. Jesus is breaking down a parable, a story he's telling, and he's talking about people who, who accept the truth, the seed of the good news, and it says, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word, the truth about Jesus, the good news, whatever it is, with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. 
So I'm here to tell you, your faith's going to be tested. Life is hard. God didn't make it to be this way. We chose it to be this way, but that's a sermon for another time. And uh, so just understand that. Now you're sitting there going, well, I'm totally depressed, Michael. You should be. <laughs> this is depressing. The great news is, though, there's a way to, uh, to navigate this. There's a way to walk through it. So let's look at a story in the Old Testament you may never have heard. I'm just going to read it out of the New Living Translation. You can follow along on the screen. I may stop and make a sideways comment here or there. And by the way, I do tell jokes, but I don't let you know I'm telling jokes. So if you feel a need to laugh, go ahead. And if it's the wrong moment, that's on me. All right, here we go. That was a joke. I see we're going to have trouble today. (laughs) Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. You remember the Red Sea thing, right? nation of Israel is leaving Egypt. They escape. All the Egyptian army drowns. They're free. They're no longer slaves. That's what they're walking away from. And they moved out into the desert of Shur. They were sure they were in the desert. Just kidding. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any Coca-Cola. Or water, whatever you like. And when they came across the oasis of Merah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Merah, which means bitter. Then the people prayed and asked God to meet their need. Just kidding. They did what we do. They complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. That's New Living Translation. Some translations translate it log. Some translate it tree. Showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it in the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Merah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. Pause. What we just read was for a purpose. It was to teach a lesson. And that's what God is about to show them. So they went through three days with no water. They're standing in front of an oasis of water, but the water's nasty. It's not drinkable. It's bitter. Instead of asking God, who had just delivered them from Egypt and through mighty power, mighty displays and miracles, and the fact that he's leading them right now with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, and instead of turning to him and saying, hey God, uh, can you do something about the water situation? They just start griping about, this is so human nature. This is why we complain. We complain because we're humans, not because we're grouchy. Okay, we're grouchy because we're humans, but still, different thing, all right? And they're standing here, and then Moses sees a tree, a log. We'll get to that in a minute. And he throws it in the water. The water's made sweet. And then God issues a decree. So when you encounter a story that God issues a decree after, the decree is connected to the story, okay? So what do he say? God said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So here we see God connecting the fact that he heals people, not only with obedience, but with bitterness. That's what's happening in this story. We probably should connect with the story. It's so easy to consider ancient Israel and how they followed God and like be very judgmental of them. 
I mean, here they've seen all these miracles, all these displays of power, and they gripe, they grumble. They're looking at God and still don't believe in Him. That's what's happening. And I know you're sitting there going, that's impossible. Oh, it's entirely possible for people to see God, see the hand of God, and still not trust that God is good. And so that's the story. So put... So I really want to judge them is what I'm trying to say. What I, what I want to do is say, you guys are scoundrels and you deserve what you get. But then I'm just like them. I'm a complainer. I'm a whiner. I've been whining for two months about the heat in Wyoming. I love whining. Anybody else? I'm just like, this is too much like Tennessee. I'm out, man. I left there for a reason. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> My, and, and so... I am so much like them is the point. And then I think about the situation, all right? Yes, the Red Sea was pretty cool. The victory at the Red Sea was pretty amazing. They had just sang the victory song on the beaches of the Red Sea three days before, but then the water coolers emptied. Now there's no water for the kids. Any of you guys travel with kids? Any of you done that? Just give me a nod. I've traveled. I have eight sons. I'm not very smart. We used to have a 15-passenger van to transport our kids. Do you have any idea how often you hear the words, are we there yet, on a 21-hour drive to Tennessee, okay? Can you imagine three days without water? Not only is it, are we there yet, because they don't even know where there is, but now you're, I'm thirsty. We don't have anything to drink. Wah, wah, wah. And that's just the husband. That's not the kids. Three days, everybody's thirsty, everybody's grumpy. I can taste the dirt, the dust in my mouth from 1.5 approximately million people shambling through the desert. And here they are, they finally find water, and it's no good. It's like Bitter Creek, but it's a pool, all right? So all I'm saying is, I think I get it. I think I understand why instead of saying, God, help us, They were complaining that God didn't help them, even though they never asked God to help them, okay? So I want to connect with that that idea. So, excuse me, as we walk through this story a little bit today, what I want to do is I want to connect this pool of water with your baptism, and I want to to learn some lessons here about how that God intends baptism to release us from our pain and our past bitterness. The Jewish scholars connected the waters of Merah with Exodus chapter 1, verse 14, which also used the word Merah, but in a different context. It talked about the bitterness that the nation of Israel was suffering under the hand of the Egyptians. So what you need to see as we look at this little window of a story, and we're standing here with 1.5 million uh, Israelites, and everyone's thirsty, and there's no water, it's a bitter moment. Because God has provided and God has done all these miraculous, powerful things, but now we're right back to where we began. We're free. We're not slaves. They're free. They're not slaves anymore. They're on the other side of the Red Sea. They're they're out there to do amazing things. However, they are now revisiting where all this starts, their bitterness. Because the reality is, is that things in our life have a way coming back around. 
There's a couple things that cause this. One, I believe that the enemy, uh, whether you call that Satan, his demons, whatever, I don't know that I've ever personally dealt with Satan himself, but certainly dealt with some nasty things. And I'm talking about spiritual beings, not people. <clears throat> but the, the enemy likes to do to us what he's already done to us because the enemy is not created in the image of God. He is a creation of God, but not in the image of God. And only God is the creator. Only God can be creative. The enemy can only copy what God has done. It's why when you read the book of Revelation, if you like to study Revelation, you'll see that much of what's happening in Revelation that's of the enemy is a copy of what God has already established in truth. The enemy is a copycat. And so when he finds out that he can trip you up with something or he can abuse you in some way, then he brings it back around. So the enemy isn't original, so things come back around. But then God wants you healed and free. God wants you restored. So he brings us back to things to make them sweet and to end their pain. You see, 1.5 million Israelites are walking through the desert. They're still slaves in their minds and hearts. They're free on the outside. There's no Pharaoh that can come and hurt them now. But on the inside, they still have that slave mindset going on. And they're still not just tainted, almost poisoned with the bitterness that they grew up in. You've got to realize the nation of Israel was in slavery for 400 years. That's way longer than this nation has existed. We, in fact, today, we don't even, we have no way of, uh, other than through history books, of connecting with things that happened four centuries ago. And so they've got this 400 years of baggage, of pain, of bitterness that Exodus talks about. And the first thing God does, as soon as they walk into freedom, is to revisit that bitterness. Why? Why would God make sure that the first thing he does is revisit their bitterness and their sorrow. In fact, why did God do any of the things that he did with the nation of Israel? Luckily, there's an answer key in the Bible that kind of helps us see that one. So let me show you a passage in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this about the nation of Israel, 1 Corinthians 10. He says, these things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. So we're reading a story that is a true historical account, but it means much more than just a historical account and a historical narrative. It has application. It has a way to teach us about our walk with God. So you with me? So let's find out what to do with this, this principle and this spiritual reality. And the first thing you've got to realize is your past comes back around. Jesus has set you free from your pain. The minute you walk in faith and begin to follow him, you're free. You have escaped Egypt. You've crossed the Red Sea. Welcome to the wilderness. Welcome to a place where we have to learn to trust God, to trust that He provides and that He cares for us. But the thing is, 
I don't know what your life was like before Jesus walked in the middle of it and blew everything up in hopefully a wonderful way. I got a few mistakes back there. You're not going to believe this. I did a couple of dumb things <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I got, there's, just, there's just these broken places in my story without Jesus. And God wants to heal those places. That's what Mara is about. It's about coming back to our bitterness. What typically causes bitterness in our life? Typically, it's unforgiveness. Of course, when I say unforgiveness, our first thought is, well, yeah, I know I need to forgive people. Well, yeah, but I'm also talking about receiving forgiveness as well. Because a lot of times our bitter, broken places are places that we don't feel like God can forgive us. Or better yet, we know God can forgive us, but we can't forgive ourselves. And I know that doesn't make any sense, but it's exactly what we do. And so the past has a way of coming back to visit. So what are you going to do about that? And, and this is one of the areas in the Christian life that's really hard as a Wyomingite to submit to and surrender to and understand. You see, in Wyoming, we cowboy up. What's that, that phrase? I saw the t-shirt earlier. Thank God for cowboys. I can't remember. They made a national day, uh, our senators. You know, they could have been working on health care issues and budgets and all that stuff, but no, they made a national day for cowboys. So really important. And in Wyoming, we couldn't care less what they do. But anyway, that's, sorry, sorry, Lord, forgive me. The problem is, we think we can do everything ourselves. When things get tough, we just cowboy up, and there is a place for that. However, the Christian life following Jesus is not intended to be an individual sport. It's a team effort. The best way I know to compare this is the day, I'll just use a Bible story, it's, uh, it's in John chapter 11, it's the day that Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. I love that story. But I'll just tell you real quick, there, there's a lot of background and I'm not actually teaching on that story, I just want you to see one little scene in it. Jesus shows up, he says, Lazarus, wake up, come forth. If he hadn't said Lazarus, probably the whole, to, the whole cemetery would have woke up and it would have been a George Romero thing, you know, I don't know, but <clears throat> he said Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus walks out. And the Bible tells us that he is bound in grave clothes. You know, when we bury people, we don't expect them to need mobility <laughs> later. We kind of wind them up, you know. So Lazarus walked out. I, you know, it wasn't like a mummy, but he was still wrapped pretty tight. He's standing there, and Jesus says, you need to loose him. You need to get the grave close off him so the guy can walk around and do things. That is a perfect picture of our state when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are alive for the first time in our life. We begin to, to feel and, and, and connect with the presence and the kingdom of God, and yet here we are standing wrapped, bound by an old life. And it's very instructive that in the story of Lazarus, it was not Jesus who released Lazarus from his grave clothes. It was the community. Which is why God says that you're to love God, love each other, as you love yourselves. There are three entities in that particular instruction of love. God, others, and you. And so in that story of Lazarus, we see that the community comes and releases Lazarus. My point is, we need each other. And when we talk about our broken places in the past and our broken hearts and the things in us 
that, that have been done to us, we need to realize that, that God wants to free us and heal us, and He does that with us and through those around us. Does that make sense? And so at this poisoned pool, so to speak, the nation of Israel has to revisit their bitterness. And so let's, let's for a moment stop where we are in this little story And let me ask you, and I don't want you to say anything out loud, I just want you to think, what is the broken place in you that needs healed today, or at least as soon as possible? Yeah, good point, Jeff. What are those broken places? What is it an abuser in your past? Is it a family that blew up when you were young? Is it a sickness that you have no idea what came into your life? Is it relationships that ended? It could be any number of things. But what are the broken places that you're afraid to go back to? I'm not talking about wallowing in your past pain. I'm talking about being done with it and freedom from it. And so, as we step into the story with the Israelites, and we're all kind of on the same level today. And they're revisiting 400 years of bitter slavery. What would Jesus have you revisit today? Now, before you freak out on the inside, on the outside you'll look calm because church people are really good at that. But before you freak out on the inside, let's steer into the story just a little bit more. So, our pain comes back. But the whole point is so Jesus touches the pain. You may not realize Jesus is in the story, but I'm about to show him to you. So in Exodus chapter 15, verse 25, Moses cried out to the Lord for help. Pause. Just a little add-on here. That's a really good thing to do. When you're in trouble, cry out to the Lord for help, at least before you start complaining. You can still complain later. He'll probably even forgive you, but... Cry out to the Lord for help. Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, a tree, a log. Depends on what translation you're reading. And Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. 1.5 million people. Have you ever heard a group of people break into grumbling at the same time? I was at a jazz game a few years ago, and I'm not going to say people were grumbling the whole game. It was actually a good game that year. But uh, they were were playing the Phoenix Suns, and something unsportsmanlike happened on the floor. And I'm going to tell you what, they have no tolerance for unsportsmanlike behavior in Utah. I was pretty sure a lot of people were about to come out of the stands. That place got really loud with some real booze, and it was really something. I I wasn't scared because I could only afford the nosebleeds, so I was way above what was happening. (laughs) But it it was an interesting moment. So there's 1.5 million people standing about this, this pool of water. I mean, it just got out of the victory song just three days before, but everyone needs water. And Moses asks God for a solution, and, and God points him to a tree. A tree. And when you see that, you're like, man, what? <laughs> That's what I'm... A lot of times you're going to be... If you, don't, if you read the Bible and you're not going, what? Occasionally, you're probably not reading it very closely, so... 
Here's a tree. Now, what, is, what are we looking at in the story? Because the translations really differ in how they approach it. So let's just tackle it from every angle. Maybe it was an actual tree next to the water. Now, trees don't grow in a day, a month, a year. So all I want you to see is that if there was actually a tree planted in the ground next to that pool, that tree had been there a long time. God put the tree there long before the nation of Israel was going to get there. That's, that's all I want you to see. But what if it wasn't a tree? What if it was just a log on the ground? Just some that had fallen over. Well, then we got a couple of possibilities. One, either a tree was planted so long ago that it grew up, died, and fell over. Or it's a tree that someone brought in. Maybe it was intended for firewood or something like that. And maybe an ancient caravan had come through, and they had had a bonfire that night, and there was some wood left on the ground. Maybe it was that. In fact, if it was that, maybe, I don't have any biblical basis for this at all. So yeah, there is no exegesis happening here. But uh, you're like, that's a big word. Yeah, I know, it sounds smart. Uh, don't look it up. Anyway, so, um, so maybe, maybe it's a, a fire that had been put out, and it's a charred log on the ground. We really don't know. All we know is the log was there long before the people were there. The log was there long before the nation of Israel showed up, and God showed that log to Moses. God's answer was provided long before there was a problem. Okay? And the answer just happened to be a tree. Galatians 3.13 Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in scriptures, cursed is who is hung on a tree. This log is symbolic of, in the very least, representative of Jesus. And what is it that Moses has to do with this log or tree? He has to throw it into the pool of bitterness. The pool of bitterness that is meant to represent 400 years of slavery and bitterness that a nation had endured. And the way to cure that bitterness was to put Jesus right in the middle. There's nothing in your life that Jesus hasn't died for. There's no pain, no brokenness, no abuse that you may have ever suffered that Jesus hasn't taken on Himself, hasn't endured on your behalf. And what I see in the story and what, what I find incredibly comforting is that in the midst of that pool of pain and that history of bitterness that a nation had to be healed from in order to follow God and, and to become the victors that they were called to be, in order for them to be free of that, God had provided a solution and what I see is that God is waiting for the nation of Israel to come to that bitter moment. And as I think about this and I think about my life and my brokenness and your life and your brokenness, I have a realization, an epiphany, if you will, and it's simply this. Whatever your broken places are, whatever is hurting within you, God is waiting there. You are not waiting for God to show up in your life. 
You are never going to wait on God to show up in your pain, in your lostness, in your suffering. Because God is already there waiting for you to show up. God's waiting for us to become present. Why is this important? Because, guys, we are terrified of the things that have hurt us. We do not want to go back to our broken places. We want to, if we follow Jesus, if we don't, whatever it is, we want to leave them back there. We want to bury them. We want to never come back to them again. And we want to hope that they never come back around. And it never works. They crawl out of their holes like zombies and eat our souls. And, and so God, come, God knows that that is not going to work for us. And so he waits for us to release our, free, our fear. The Bible says in 1 John 4.18, love has no fear, perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. We're afraid to go back to those hurt, broken places because we're afraid we deserve them. We're afraid that everything that's wrong in our life, we did. And, and here's the story. The truth of the matter is, yeah, we did. We deserve them. And even though we deserve them, Jesus stepped up to the plate, took all that's wrong with us and all of our brokenness and all of our mistakes and died on a cross for all of it. And then rose from a grave to prove that every debt Every punishment that we deserved, he completely paid for. Jesus heals our broken places. And Jesus is waiting in your worst memory to heal you there, not torture you there, to heal you there. What a thought. What an idea. If you could trust that God was good and that God cared about you and he wasn't out to crush you. He was out to free you. Then you could let God take all that bitterness of your life and let God put Jesus in the middle of that bitterness and pull all the poison out of your story. And then you would be a different kind of person. You'd be free. You'd be whole. You'd be healed. What an idea. I mean, I get kind of excited about it, but I'm, I'm trying to be good today. I don't have Miss Linda here to rile me up, so we'll be. So God wanted to heal the past and heal that bitterness and take the poison out of it. And so now you have the nation of Israel, and they're all drinking their water and all these kinds of things. So what do we do with this? Because God, like I said, he, he brought them to this place because he wanted to set them free, and he's going to set them free with something that may not make sense to us, something called his commands. So the Bible goes on, verse 26, we already read it, let's go through it again. God says, here's the promise, if you'll listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sell on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord God who heals you. You see, the nation of Israel wasn't saved from bondage to just die in the wilderness. That's what happened, but that was their choice. That, that wasn't freedom. That was them failing to let God heal that bitterness and walk into the victory. Joshua and Caleb figured it out, but not, not anyone else. 
And so what I want you to see in this is, is that God offers to the nation of Israel, hey, if you follow my commands, I'm going to heal you. What, what is that? Because a lot of folks think of God like he's some kind of dictator and he's just real, and he is like the ruler of the universe. You got that going for you. But he's, uh, you know, like they, they think of God in a very punishment-oriented way. So I was talking to a friend this week about this story, and uh, I was trying to figure out how to illustrate it, and this is what I came up with. It's not the best analogy, so just be patient. I'm not as smart as I once was. I knew everything in my 20s, nothing today. <laughs> Let's say that Steve, I'm going to use Steve because he's on staff and so I can be mean to him a little bit. And so Steve is, is uh, he's down in the woods, this, this dense leaf forested area. And let's say that I'm up and I am in some kind of tower and I have a view of the forest. And I can see the tops, I can see the bears, I can see the cliffs and the waterfalls and the trail through. But Steve is down in it. He can't see it. And so my job is to get Steve safely through the forest with a few gags along the way, but still safely through the forest. Because he's Steve and i got to mess with him a little bit or we wouldn't be friends, you know. And so I have the view, but he doesn't. All he can see are trees and overgrown pathways. So what would I do? I would call out from above. Hey, Steve, listen, you need to go straight to that big boulder, and you need to take a left at that oak tree, and you need to cut off to your left up the hill, and before you get to the top, don't go over because it's a cliff. Come back down the right side. And I would be giving him commands as to how to avoid all the traps. That's what God's commands are. God's commands are there to save our lives, to, to save our families, to save our souls, to save our emotions, to save everything about us. And so when you think about God, don't think of him as a cruel God who gives us rules just so he can trip us up. He's a good God who gives us rules to save us from more pain. And that's why 1 John tells us that if you follow God, you love his commandments. In fact, you should read Psalm 19 because David spends like 20 verses there just, just spouting love for the commands of God because he knows that they are life. They're not constriction, they're freedom. And so here God says, if you follow my commands, all he's doing is keeping us out of trouble, keeping us from these things. Now remember, the nation of Israel was not saved to die in the dirt in the wilderness. They were saved to conquer giants. They were saved to overcome other nations. They were saved to rise up as victors. And most important of all, God called them out to bring Jesus into the world. So their purpose was to bring the Deliverer, the Messiah, to the whole world. That's why the nations called out in the first place. That's the primary reason is to bring Jesus into the world. You got it? That's what they're saved for. But they're stuck in the wilderness. They can't see past the dirt and the sand, the lack of water and the lack of food. They can't see past any of that stuff. They're trapped in this place, and they're having trouble trusting God. I want to remind you, you and I are also people with big promises. God isn't just interested in saving you, making you nice, and putting you in a church chair. We used to call them pews, but that stunk. <laughs> You're like, Michael, that's lame. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to my sense of humor. God isn't saving you to just be a nice person. He's saving you to be victorious. Peter put it this way. Because of his glory and excellence, 
He has given us, you and me, us, great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. God had a place for the nation of Israel. God had a place for them in a very, a very special place for them in His plan, but also in the world that He's bringing about in, in His kingdom. And God has a very special place for you. And that place is a place of victory. That place is a place of joy and peace and love and all of those things that we strongly, strongly desire in our life. God has a place for you and God has victory for you. And this is what the new life is about. It's about living on God's promises, what God's going to do. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, as believers, we have, we have things that are better than anything you can imagine, better than cures for disease, better than financial uh, blessing, better than all those things, these promises of God that we are as, as children. I'm telling you, I love, First John is one of my favorite books. It's a very challenging book, but it's one of my favorites because it's kind of like John is saying to the rest of the world, neener, 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 we are God's children. We are. That's our place. It's, he says in John, he says that you are God, God calls us his children, and that's what we are. Because I'm telling you, if God calls you something, that's what you are. He has the ability to name things. So you and I have a way of victory. So 1 John 5, 3 says, Loving God means keeping his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our Faith. So the Red Sea freed the nation of Israel from slavery. But it was the waters of Merah that were intended to free them from their past and their pain. And I want you to see in that story that this is, baptism is another connection to this reality. That baptism isn't just a ritual that we go through that, that is religious and gives us emotional fuzzy feel-goods. Baptism is a public statement that has deep, deep spiritual implications for us. And it teaches us that we are free. And we are, it teaches us that we are whole and we have available to us that Jesus has for us complete healing. By His stripes you're healed, Isaiah 53. And so this is what it should be about for us. So what I want to conclude with and the thought I, I want to give you as you, you think about the waters of Mary and the nation of Israel and your own past and your own story and how Jesus takes the pain and the bitterness out of that story is I want us to think about a, a new path from this point on. I personally believe and have for years that if we have, as believers, gosh, I'm long-winded, if we as believers would just let God heal our pain, we could really love each other. We could really love our families. And so Jesus said this to a group of people. Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. I would have loved to have been there for this, wouldn't you? I mean, if Jesus stands up on a chair and shouts to everybody, I really want to hear that. Here's what he said. Anyone who's thirsty, anyone who's hurting, anyone who's broken, Anyone who's scared, insecure, anxious, on the edge, anyone, 
Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Actually, I love the old King James, flow from his guts. What am I trying to say? If you were willing to stand up in front of what has hurt you, you would find that God is already waiting there to heal you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take an exercise real quick. Let's bow your heads. Worship team, if we come forward. I know it's challenging and to focus, but I, I want to ask you to focus right now. And I know that a lot of times we come to church, one of the reasons we come is because we, we're hurting. So, heads bowed, eyes closed for a minute. Let's just take a moment of inner reflection before we worship. Could you just take a minute and could you go back to that thing that's eating you alive right now? Could you just go to that moment? I, I don't want you to be in it. I don't want it to hurt you. I want you to observe it. That's all I want you to do. I know what it is for me. It's a piece of my story that I just, it's there. I want you to go there just for a second. And rather than be a part of the story, I don't want you to relive the pain of it or any of those kind of things. Here's, I just want to do one simple thing. That's all. You're there. You're in that moment. I want you to look around, and here's the question. You ready? Where's Jesus? Because I promise you he's there. He's in your worst moment. He's there. For me, I can't tell you that story. In this moment, it wouldn't be appropriate, but for me, Jesus was holding me. He was protecting me, protecting my inner being. Where's Jesus? Because if you can see that, you'll realize that you are not alone. That broken place in you is not meant to continue. God means to put Jesus in the middle of it and release you from it. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship. I'm going to be at, there's some prayer tables on my right, your left. And I'll be over there, and we can just, we can't pray a long time, but we can pray a minute, and we can get an appointment if we need to pray through something that's big in your life. I would love, love, love to do that. Father God, I pray for healing of hearts and histories in this room. I pray for for the release from generational curses, from abuse, brokenness, pain. I pray that you would help all of us see that all of that, all of that is on Jesus. And he died for that, bled for that. And over that, he screamed, it is finished. If you could help every person in this room and set them free, thank you. In Jesus' name. Pastor Steve.